In which 1972 film does an elderly man go to sleep in Hollywood but wake up next to Khartoum? The answer to that at the end of the show. My name's Tom Scott and this is Lateral. The guests on Lateral are drafted at random from a computer database of eligible adults aged 18 or over. Today, serving their civic duty in the name of Panel Games, it's the turn of, from his own YouTube channel and from the theory of awesome now streaming, it is Trace Dominguez. Hello! Musician, composer, pianist and YouTuber, Nare Sol. Hello! Hi! And working on her PhD in medical engineering and medical physics and casually running a YouTube channel on AI as well, Jordan Harrod. Hi, I'm very curious about this algorithm that randomly selected us now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, the uh, the introduction scripts just keep getting more unhinged the longer this series goes on, and I'm just, I'm here for it, frankly. Today's guests are here to work their way around a range of tricky riddles and puzzles. Think of it as soft play for the mind, but with less vomit and somehow more tantrums. We start with this question. Good luck. A real 13th century mystery. A body is found in a rice field with the throat cut. Many field workers own sharp tools. When asked to lay down their scythes, which all looked identical, the murderer soon knew that the game was up. Why? I'll give you that one more time. A real 13th century mystery. A body is found in a rice field with the throat cut. Many field workers own sharp tools. When asked to lay down their scythes, which all looked identical, the murderer soon knew the game was up. Why? Full marks to Trace, who has clearly brought a pen and paper and is quietly making notes as that question went on. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I wish have... I'd done that. <laughs> I was like, okay, got it. 13th century throat cut. You know, just the important details. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are starting with with quite a grisly question here to start the, yeah. uh, the episode. Is someone missing a scythe? Scythe? I don't know how that word's pronounced. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm guessing at this point. I, I, to be, I, it may well be scythe or scythe, and it occurs to me I didn't actually know that. I don't know either, but I know what they look like. They're like the big long, you know, thing yeah. with the think the, the thing blade. the Grim Reaper holds. Yeah. yeah, the thing you used to like slash through the fields and forests and whatnot when you're on an adventure in Lord of the Rings, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Or can we ask for <laughs> clues? You can. I'm probably not going to give them this early, though. I'm trying to think of, like, why the why would it, if you laid down your tools, why would the that give it away? You and know? they're all identical. If, if they're all identical. I mean, my first thought is, like, one has blood on it. That was also my first thought. My, actually, my first question is, do they all have blood on them? Do any of them have blood on them? <laughs> Because sides are for cutting, like, grass. Or it, you can see how sharp it is. You yeah. can see how sharp a tool is. Was one person missing a scythe? It, it does say in the question, they did all look identical. Yeah, yeah. So we can assume they all look identically sharp as well. Maybe it has to do with how they flipped it? Everybody has one. Nobody's, mm-hmm. Nobody, like, threw away the murder weapon or anything. Well, that was my thought. Like, yeah. 10 guys put down a, their scythe, and then there's the 11th person who's just like, mm. <laughs> Oh, my scythe uh, disappeared into the river. Oh, sorry. My dog ate my scythe. Sorry. <laughs> I see. I watch a lot of content that comments on body language. So I'm just thinking maybe it has nothing to do with the scythe, but, <laughs> but the way that someone is reacting physically. Scythes are typically used for like cutting long like grasses and stuff yeah. like uh wheat 
Um, I don't know if that's helpful. I just wanted to express that I know something about science. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how the show works. You, you come out with a fact about science and someone else uses that to solve the mystery. Absolutely. And hmm. it's in the field. Yeah. There is nothing suspicious with the naked eye here. I feel like that in and of itself is probably suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Like everything's fine. <laughs> everything's fine, but that guy's dead. Sorry, yep. guy. That's also fine, I guess. There's nothing suspicious. <laughs> okay, mm. let me rephrase that. There's nothing suspicious with the sides with the naked eye. There is still a guy with his throat cut. Yeah, okay. sure. That's pretty suspicious. It has to do with the height of the people. <gasps> Ooh, interesting. Because it depends on how tall you are or how big you are, what you can do with that side, right? Maybe the guy with the throat cut is really tall. <laughs> so the really short people couldn't reach. It is definitely something to do with the sides. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. With the sides. Even though they look but identical. All, they all look the same. One smells different. That's what it is. <laughs> one smells like blood. <laughs> they, they look the same. Now. They, they taste wait, it what? What? Oh, really? One smells different? Okay. One smells like pennies? Well, one is warmer. One is warmer because they just used Ooh. it. Oh, one is wet. Or colder. Oh, but I guess So mm-hmm. the 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 reference that I have on my notes for this is that this is from Val McDermott's book Forensics. So you mm. are very close with smell. But no one's going huh. up no one's going up and going at each side. But there's there's right. an effect happening there. So something in the side is reacting to the blood that got on it. That's my first that's my thought. You know, like it's rusting. <clears throat> how long has it been? Last. Yeah. Yeah. How, like did they the guy's been dead for several days? <laughs> oh I, the one that was used to murder the man or the person does not smell like grass. <gasps> and oh, the others do. So this is this is not something that let, let's assume we have our, our 13th century Hercule Poirot here. He's not quite reacting to the smell of it himself. There's one more step involved in solving the mystery. There's a dog. There's a dog nearby, or an animal of some flies. kind. That's, yes. Flies. Yes. Oh. are hovering over. Nare's got it. Absolutely right. Oh, man. Even though it had been cleaned, it started to attract swarms of flies that could smell just a trace of blood. So goes the story, as handed down from the 13th oh century. Goodness. How much of that is true, Whoa. how much of that is a fable, I don't know. But yes, you absolutely got that right. That's oh, that, cool. That brings up wow. a, a, such a, a specific visual and... Sensual image. <laughs> it's really morbid. <laughs> sensual. <laughs> Essential. Sensual, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man, I can't I think what know. the word of that should be. Um, yeah. I mean, either I way, we're not shaming. Sensual, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. The S- senses. Sensual. Yeah. Of the senses would be I, I, I've just got of a note senses. through from the producer with the word evocative, which is apparently what we should uh, be using for that. But, uh, oh, well, got it. Yeah, very sure. evocative. I, okay. Disturbingly evocative. Just, just, to avoid, just to avoid sensual and death. We, really, we don't really want those <laughs> in the same, uh, same thing. Uh, so yeah, this is, this is a story told as true that is given as the first example of forensics solving a crime.
The murder weapon attracted swarms of flies that could still detect a trace of blood. Now the tables are turned. One of our guests is going to take over as host. As always, I do not know the question. I do not know the answer. I have as much clue as the other two people here. So we're going to start with Jordan. What question do you have for us, please? All right. So I have a question for all of you. My question is, Michelle Knopp bought a secondhand car for $300. A few days later, after a 164-mile-per-hour collision, she was able to sell the damaged car for $25,000 and make a further $50,000 on top. How? I'll repeat the question. Michelle Knapp bought a secondhand car for $300. A few days later, after a 164-mile-per-hour collision, she was able to sell the damaged car for $25,000 and make a further $50,000 on top. How? Wow. I mean... She's going really fast. That's really fast. Does that have to... Maybe, maybe the fact that the car can go that fast raise its value? I mean, it might be a, a like a joint speed, but even like if you're going 82 and the other person's going 82, that's that's a lethal speed. Yeah, that's really fast. Also, what kind of second what kind of secondhand car for three hundred dollars goes one hundred sixty four miles an hour? <laughs> I wonder if it's like for a movie, you know, like you you got you know like what kind of car appreciates in value from three hundred dollars to thousands of dollars. After one event, it's got to be a thing that happened with the car. Like the yeah. the car crashed into somebody. <laughs> no, maybe not <laughs> a person. Is, this a is thing. the car that hit Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> right. At 164 it's, miles an hour. That's not how Elvis went. But I don't think so. <laughs> so you're on the right track with an event that happened with the car. So the mm. crash, the event is so significant to raise the value well, one thing I've learned doing this is that the questions are, are very carefully phrased. And that said, after a 164-mile-an-hour collision, I'm not certain that the car would have been involved in that collision. I'm just, just checking. Ooh, just, interesting. But 25,000. Like, 25,000 and then a, a further 50,000. Do you sell it? Is that a lawsuit and a settlement? Or is that like a collector buying a chunk of metal that used to be a car? And then how would you get the further 50,000? Does he like sell tickets to go see the car that you oh, crashed or or I mean, the, the th- or the collision that was nearby potentially as well? It doesn't say the car was involved as you say. You could sell tickets to see the collision. Like they used to do that for trains. Ooh. In the old west, oh. there, there was like several oh. several times when you could pay and the, like two old locomotives would just get smashed into each other and that was that was a ticketed event. People people got hurt by flying <laughs> shrapnel. <laughs> <laughs> and all the Victorians would just go, oh my, yeah. <laughs> no, this, this, was, oh. uh, this was old American West. <laughs> this was like cowboy, cowboy hats Yee-hoo! and cars. Yeah, yeah more, more yee-hoos then. Yee-haw! <laughs> and you still had to pay the 20% Ticketmaster fee. <laughs> but it is, it is just literally, it's a guy in a hat who calls himself the Ticketmaster. Yeah. Just, yes. yeah. <laughs> Maybe great. something in the car that's not the car itself maybe some part of it increased hmm. in value because of the collision, the engine or some oh, She mechanism. just found a brick of cocaine that was being smuggled somewhere. <laughs> and the collision, the collision and then even more it, cocaine. <laughs> yeah, they crashed it and then a bunch of cocaine fell out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like we should ask if the crash was deliberate. 
Like, was this yeah. was this a thing that that was meant to do, or, or was she just driving at 164 and happened to come off a wall? The crash was not deliberate. <gasps> huh. Well, that rules out a load of my theories. Like, it's not for a movie. Yeah. It's not for Right, a... same. Hmm. So it's a second-hand car. It was 300 bucks. It was involved in a collision. Accidental. And now it's worth... Yeah, an accidental collision. And now it's worth money. So it must have been something about the collision. Like, it collided into something. It collided uh, into a plane. Yeah. It collided th- into... Ooh. What else goes What if it fast? fell out of a plane? No, oh, it would go wow. faster than that. Wouldn't it? What's the terminal velocity of a second-hand car? <laughs> <laughs> Give us a hint, please. She was at home when the collision happened. She was at home. So she wasn't driving. Someone she bought ran- a car... Oh, I think I got it. Okay. So, so, so someone, she ran a car. Into, someone ran into the car at 164 miles an hour. Oh. But she was at home and the car was in her driveway. And then when she got hit, uh, I think, I think <laughs> the terminal velocity thing, it was <gasps> a meteor hit it. That's what I'm thinking. A toilet. Yeah. The, the, when, the toilet <laughs> things, like when they fall out of the, the plane. A meteor hit it. A meteor Chris hit it. it. Yes. Ah! Oh wow! Look at that. That's so interesting. Because that makes the car valuable. Because it's the car yeah. that got hit by a meteor, so that's going to a science museum somewhere. And then, yep. presumably, this is America, so she gets to sell the meteor. Yep. That's awesome. In 1922, a 26-pound meteorite fell in Peekskill, New York, breaking through the rear corner of the car. Both the damaged Chevy Malibu car and the meteorite itself were sold for large sums to interested collectors. That's a heck of a lottery to win, isn't it? Wow. A $300 Chevy Malibu. Like, that's a really low-level Chevy Malibu. <laughs> What's the probability of that happening? Very low, I have to yeah. imagine. Lottery would be higher. And also, this is a lottery where if it's a few meters different, you're dead. So that's having a meteor land is a big deal. Having one hit your car and then selling it for a profit is wonderful. <laughs> Good job, Michelle. Way that's to go. insane. People were also actually filming local football games. It was a Friday night. Uh, and so the meteorite was caught on film in six, 16 different places. Uh, and today, specimens of the meteorite sell for about $150 per gram. So I hope she's, you know, got some sort of contract set up where she also gets a cut of that going forward. Wow. Uh, it's fine. She's just got an NFT for the meteor these days. It's fine. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next question is back to me. Good luck to you all. What is the very specific connection between the flags of Turkmenistan, the USA, and Brazil? Give you that one more time. What is the very specific connection between the flags of Turkmenistan, the USA, and Brazil? I don't know. I know nothing about this topic. I mean, vexillology is pretty cool. He knows the word for it. That's a good start. Wow. I, I listened to a podcast and a TED Talk about it. The same guy, Roman Mars. Um, I mean, presumably you know some stuff about the USA flag, at least for, for those of you who are who are from that part of the world. I don't know yeah. why I said that like that. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that the United States flag has a weird stars on it. It's weird. For the time it was designed, the five-pointed star was unusual because it was hard to make. A six-pointed oh, star was that. much easier to make because you just, you know, fold it and you got six points. Whereas a five-pointed star has a different symmetry. I know... Brazil, because my wife is Brazilian, has uh, stars on their flag as well. 
So they have that in common. I don't know the Turkmenistan flag because I grew up in the U.S. and we have terrible geography lessons here. Yep. Same. <laughs> also in that boat. <laughs> I was just thinking about the stars and the colors. I don't know. Yeah. My, my first thought was the stars. My second thought was if they like, I don't know, were originally printed on the same fabric or something, or I'm mm-hmm. sure they weren't originally made by the same person, but. Your Betsy didn't make them all. They had the same number of revisions, maybe. I will tell you that like the the reason I say very specific is that there there are a lot of flags with stars on uh and this this is about the stars you're absolutely right you've made that connection um I need a little bit more than that there are a lot of flags with stars on true yeah. the stripes are there stripes on the other two Brazil has a circle a diamond uh well I have it right here actually uh, it's a circle it's a diamond <laughs> and it's a line. So for those then, for those listening in audio, Trace is pointing to his bicep where he has a tattoo of the Brazilian flag. Well, that's a <laughs> useful reference. <laughs> it is nice, right? Yeah. So it doesn't have any color, but it's a circle with the – it says Orgia Mi Progresso, which is like, you know, I don't know, order and progress, which most Brazilians find very funny. Uh, and then there are stars, and it's yellow, green, and blue. Man, being married to a Brazilian didn't know it would come into such play in this podcast. It's very helpful. (laughs) I feel like the problem that I'm running into is that I know absolutely nothing about the flag of Turkmenistan. Like, I don't even know. I don't don't know what the connection there is. (laughs) You can work this out purely from knowing the U.S. flag. I will tell you that. So America's got the 50 stars. We've got 50 of them. How many does Brazil have? I'm out of my deck. Counting on you. (laughs) <laughs> I have no idea. They have con- I know it has constellations on it, and we don't, so those are different, so that doesn't fit. Hmm. The stars represent states. They re- represent a, a, an amount of land or region. Yeah, you've, you've yeah. basically got it there. That's, that's <gasps> oh. absolutely right. And for the, for the person who knew the least about the flags to suddenly come up with that, you're absolutely right. I'll, I'll leave it on just a little bit more. Like on the US flag, what do they represent? The 50 states. Yes. And if I tell you that there are 27 stars on the Brazilian flag? There are 27 states. Yes, there are. And they've also updated that flag over time. There used to be 23, then 22. And Turkmenistan has five of them for exactly the same reason. They, they all use the word state? Uh, five regions. I mean, Turkmenistan okay. is, is not going to use the same thing, but each star on the flag represents a different region of the country. And at least for two of them, it gets updated over time as that changes. So yes, like you, I, I, I love it when someone just casually says a thing and it turns out to be the answer. Like there was, there was no sudden just, eureka moments. Just, yeah, yeah, that was the, that was the fact we needed. Huh. I'm looking up the <laughs> Turkmenistan flag right now. It's really pretty. It looks really nice. It's green. It's got like a, it's like a thing out it's got a moon and then it's got five stars yeah that's oh, cool that's a cool flag. flag so yes the turkmenistan u.s and brazilian flags all have stars that represent regions which means we go over to trace for the next question trace what have you got for us okay everyone you ready this is good this is exciting what does a 10 pin bowler achieve by rolling a spare then three strikes then another spare across five consecutive frames. I'll read it again. What does a 10-pin bowler achieve by rolling a spare, 
then three strikes, then another spare across five consecutive frames. Wow, okay. So I have knowledge of 10-pin bowling scoring. I, like, I know how it works, which is that a spare gets you 10 plus the value of your next ball. So like if you, if you do a spare and then a four, you end up with 14 plus the four for the, the next one. Mm-hmm. If you get a strike, you have the value of your next frame added to it. So like both balls. If you, get, uh, if you roll a spare, then knock down four and another one, you'd get 15 and then the five for the actual one you got. So it basically doubles your next, uh, your next one. So like, I'm, I'm, give me a minute, talk amongst yourselves. I'll, I'll do some maths because <laughs> I, te- I can give you the technical answer to the question. It's probably not what we're looking for. I was about to say, I feel like I, I assume that it was something like a turkey or whatever the words for. Yeah, three, three strikes in a row is a, is a turkey, but we've got a spare on each end as well here. I know nothing about bowling. No. <laughs> Have you ever been bowling? A mm, handful of times. Okay. I, well, I won't talk about um, why I don't go bowling anymore. But Oh, no, you, ha- you can't drop that into the conversation <laughs> and not tell that story. Come on. Um, so when I was probably six or seven, I was in like first grade. Um, one of my friends had a bowling birthday party. And so at the party, we were all bowling. Everyone was having fun. Um, and at one point when I went to bowl, basically what happened was that my, my thumb got stuck in the bowling ball. So when I went to let go, it like pulled me forward. And so I fell. And so I start like sliding down, um, the like bowling lane and the ball comes off my hand. But then in the process of me like sliding down and having this momentum already, um, my thumb gets stuck in the gutter, like in the mechanical parts of the gutter. Um, and so it basically, rips my thumbnail halfway back and then when my parents came to get me to like get me out of it it basically rips my thumbnail oh. the rest of the way off so then i'm just oh, like no. bleeding all over the bowling alley i had to go to the er they covered it in hydrogen peroxide which made it like red and foamy blood okay yeah no we're um, good we're good we're good we don't, we, we don't need the blood <laughs> details thanks that's that's wow that's enough that's, so that's wow and now i don't bowl anymore <laughs> And now I don't bowl anymore. And I have a new thing to be afraid of. Um, I've realized I, I, I'm going to change the subject again. Um, I, I've just realized I can't calculate the points because a spare is based on first yeah. ball, not, for, not right. frame. So yeah. it can't be the number of points or something like that. I mean, you could calculate how much this would add, but that's not actually relevant to the question. A spare is when you hit only one. A spare is when you knock everything down in two throws. Mm-hmm. And strike is when you knock everything down in one throw. So it's not a spare turkey. Trace? Oh, hang Trace. on. Hang on. We got a face from, from Trace here. I mean, the you're close with the turkey parts. There's, okay. there's, 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 there's some turkey involved here. So okay. the, I, was, I was surprised you got there as quickly as you could. Okay, there's, there's got to be a slang name for this. Because I was looking at how it was written down, which would be like a slash and then three crosses and slash. But if is it something like roast turkey or something like that? Where or you're very close. You're very close. So, I mean, what other boiled turkey? I'm just I'm, I'm going to keep naming turkey preparations. <laughs> Slice turkey. It's sort of a mix of how you're like take take the ideas that you're playing with now and kind of mix them together, and I think you'll get there. Thanksgiving. <laughs> keep, leftovers keep leftovers keep, keep, keep it going sandwich 
Yes! Oh! Woo! A turkey sandwich! <laughs> of course! <laughs> of course it is! It's a slash, and then a turkey, yep. and then another slash. Yep, and the slashes look yes. like the slices of bread at the... Oh, that's yes, lovely. Yes, yep. yes, That yes. is so funny. I love that. All right. These are tricky questions. I see what... Mm-hmm. what I yeah. see it. I and you're it. getting the answers to them all. <laughs> yeah. You're really good at this. And I, I didn't know any much about bowling. So uh, just to recap, what does a 10-pin bowler achieve by rolling a spare, then three strikes, then another spare across five consecutive frames? They achieve a slash, and then a turkey, and then another slash, or a turkey sandwich. Back to me for the next question then. Good luck, folks. In the 1830s and early 1840s, why did British third-class train carriages have holes in the floor? I'll say that one more time. In the 1830s and early 1840s, why did British third-class train carriages have holes in the floor? Was third-class for the animals? Uh, no, <laughs> mm. it was for people. It was for people. But that is a lovely guess. It is a good guess. I was thinking something similar, like holes in the floor for excrement. I mean, yeah. that, is, I was like, that is still in use on some trains. Yeah, like I've that, heard that. Admittedly, that that hole is in an actual toilet in a bathroom. But there are still some trains that just just let it out onto the tracks, and uh, and it's not pleasant if you're a track worker near there. Um, it just feels like the most human thing ever. It's just like, okay, cool, we're moving really fast, so I'll just uh, <laughs> drop it onto the ground, and I won't be there. It's like very, very, <laughs> very like, oh, well, I'm fine. But all those kids walking on the train tracks in the movies. <laughs> in an effort to keep this podcast from immediately going down a lot of, of, of obvious joke routes, say that this is not for that obvious reason you're thinking of. Got it. Oh, okay. Are these holes on the side? They're holes for windows because it's third class. They don't have windows. They have holes. Uh, these are in the floor. In the on the floor. floor. Oh, yeah. All the way? All the way. Is the third class like the... like? Lower income, cheap tickets, and so they just want to be able to like wash out the trains real easily. It's, it's Ooh, interesting. Vaguely along those lines, yes. Certainly, the third class tickets have very few amenities whatsoever, and that is sort of the key to this. It's not quite hosing down the carriages, but you are quite close with that. Ooh, okay, that's interesting. So uh, I was thinking like the air comes in and doesn't float to the other carriages. You know, like. Maybe third class people are s- stinky, and so they don't they don't get the second class people don't have to smell them because they're. I just feel so classist, even saying this. <laughs> yeah, I, when I, when I brought it up, I was like, "How do I say this and not?" <laughs> not all third class people are smelly. Eighteen thirties and eighteen forties. I think basically everyone stank at that point. That's probably true. true. I used to work at a museum. Uh, we were representing the eighteen eighties. And it was the first place in Michigan to have hot and cold running water for the soldiers at this fort. And they took a bath once a week. And they were like, that's a lot. This is a lot of baths, you guys. Normally, they would do like once a month or even like once a year. So, yeah, everybody was probably smelly. Is it to get rid of water? Yes. Yes, it hmm. is. So when Trace was saying washing out along the right lines, it's, it's to get rid of water. There's one. When key- it rains. And that's, Ooh. yet again, the correct answer. Absolutely <laughs> right. killing it. Third-class carriages didn't have a roof. It was just oh. a oh. box with some benches in it. And so that was to let the rainwater escape. 
You're absolutely that right. That is rough. sad. What? Nori, you're great at this game. Yeah. <laughs> Some carriages didn't even have those holes. There was a, a journey in 1844 where it was recorded that the passengers had their feet in two inches of water. Because oh, it was crazy. a box coupled to the back of the train. Well, I guess it doesn't matter if they smell then, because <laughs> if anything, they would be the least stinky people on the train after that. Yeah, after that, uh, after the 1844 Railway Act, it was stipulated that third-class passengers should have cover. That was that was the minimum required for a train. Oh my goodness! Yep, I should never complain. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, you know, I, not too long ago, I was on a, a train ride in Germany and I had to stand for a lot of it. And I just thought, this is the worst thing ever. I'm never going to say that again. <laughs> At least you could ride a train. I miss trains. Oh, yeah, you're in California, aren't you? You've got, you've got a high-speed rail line that won't be done for a long time yet. Ever, maybe. Who knows? But yes, in the 1830s and early 1840s, British third-class train carriages had a hole in the floor to let the rain drain away. Which brings us to our last guest question of the show. Nare, this one's from you. Whenever you're ready. Okay. How did the Egyptians use a loop of rope with 12 regularly spaced knots? Again, how did the Egyptians use a loop of rope with 12 regularly spaced knots? I feel like I have to throw a ruler out there. It's just like a... (laughs) Just making sure that's not it. (laughs) It is not a ruler. With without, without you, how are we going to answer this question? You've gotten all the other questions. Yeah, I was about to say we're totally screwed now. Because something in the back of my head about time measurement, and I think I might be getting this confused with a Greek invention, which was like a a water um, communications thing. I think it was called something like the hydraulic telegraph, and you would have two water. Uh, jugs with messages marked on the side and you would like light a beacon and you would take the corks out at the same time the water would steadily go down you douse the beacon you put the bung back in and whatever the message reads that's that's the message and i think that's greek and i don't think that's egyptian but i Hmm. that's what stuck in my head like it's some sort of communication thing or a tool for for measuring time or something like that and nare is now going to tell me that i'm entirely on the wrong track here (laughs) That's such a sophisticated guess, but it is not. Jordan was closer. Okay. Mm. So it's used to measure something. It is used to measure something, but it has to be specific. That's good, because my second guess was going to be hurting people. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad it's not for that. (laughs) The Egyptians were very precise. I think we learned that a lot when I was, I visited years ago and there was a lot of talk of like precision and standards and measures like they had a lot of you know they had um, a lot of things that were standardized within their society so that's uh, my first thought is that you don't make a tool with 12 knots regularly spaced unless you're trying to make some kind of standard but the standard for what so what old measurements are there um, it's, well, it's, it's gotta be distance or time or like area or what water level would the Niles mm. water level be oh. important? To, I mean, they, it would still flood then cause there was no Nasser, like Nasser, no dam. I might give a clue and um, this <gasps> would have, it's, it would have been used to help construct things as well. Okay. Mm. 12, but it's not a ruler. 
12 evenly spaced knots. Instantly, the Egyptians called rulers pharaohs. No, sorry, uh, that was a crap joke, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to remember that one. <laughs> Uh, ruler, um, I, you can call it some kind of ruler, but it has to be way more specific than a ruler. So, like, like a yardstick, measuring like a tape, protractor. Are they like building pyramids with this somehow? Can you like divide? You can divide twelve into two and three and four and six. So, like, that's a, it's a good mechanism for like measuring halves and quarters. So, is there like some angle? Thing with pyra- he says wildly flailing his arm around to demonstrate a pyramid. <laughs> Is it some, some kind of angle thing where you work out where the top of your pyramid is? Yes, some kind <laughs> of angle thing. Do you use it to make like right angles for like the the stone thingies that they used to build the pyramids and whatnot? Like in a quarry? Well, just to measure out like what an actual cube looks like, I guess, to make sure you're having. But why do you need 12 evenly spaced knots in the rope for that? Jordan's answer is is, is getting closer, getting closer. But why, why the loop of rope with 12 regularly spaced knots? Oh, a loop of rope. It's a loop. Oh, for columns. Because you want to make little oh. divots in your columns. Is that? No, maybe? I don't know. They have a lot of columns. I think that's the Greeks. Shoot. You're right. <laughs> So we forgot loop. And I was about to say clock because you've got 12 things in a loop. And I was like, 12. oh, that's a clock. No, the Egyptians did not use that, that our time system. So hmm. it's an angle thing. How did they use a loop? It's not like it's a, a sundial, is it? Wait, is it right angles? 12, 3, 4, 5. Yes. Oh, hey. They used it to calculate right angles? Um, it's used as a form of set square. So one angle has three spaces, another one has four spaces, and then the last angle has five. Because three plus four plus five equals 12. It's a set square. That's. I don't know what a set square is, but that's <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's that, that triangle shaped thing you had in school to measure angles. It's. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never knew the name of that. It comes from the Pythagorean triple, since 3 squared plus 4 squared equals 5 squared. And 3 plus 4 plus 5 is 12. I did not know this. <laughs> You're saying it as if you knew it. No, I didn't. I have the, the sheet here. <laughs> <laughs> One last order of business then, which is the question I asked the audience right at the start of the show. In which 1972 film does an elderly man go to sleep in Hollywood but wake up next to Khartoum? Just before we go, any ideas from the panel on that? That is so not my area. It's not yeah. even funny. 1972 I, I films know. are not, uh, <laughs> not the area. Uh, no. It doesn't actually involve teleportation. Uh, Khartoum was the name of the horse in The Godfather that the guy wakes up next to the head of. Uh, oh. He goes to sleep in Hollywood uh. and he wakes up next to Khartoum. Uh. 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 <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that impression, Trace. I also haven't seen The Godfather, but I, I do understand the reference. I'll be honest, neither have I. Oh, it's great. It's great. <laughs> that that scene is quite uh, memorable. <laughs> it's like 
You know what? I would say, given that scene versus the bowling scene that was described <laughs> earlier, I would go Godfather as less gory. <laughs> that is our show for today. Well done to all of you, uh, particularly to Nari, who just got question after question there. Tell us what's going on in your lives, where we can find you. Nari, we'll start with you. If you just put in my name, you'll find a lot of videos related to music. Nari Soul, N-A-H-R-E-S-O-L. You can find all my material on YouTube. Trace, what's going on with you? Uh, I'm making a video about why we're getting so many spam texts. That should be out pretty soon. You can find it on my YouTube channel. You can also um, watch Theory of Awesome, which is a People Are Awesome project that I helped host and write, and it was really fun. Um, we're about halfway through the season, and that's on the People Are Awesome app. And Jordan. Yep, you can find me under my name, Jordan Harrod, on YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. These days, I'm doing a lot more grad schooly content. So if you're interested in learning about what it's like to be a PhD student at MIT, come find my stuff. And if you want to know more about this show or you want to send in an idea for a question, you can do that at lateralcast.com. You can find us at lateralcast pretty much everywhere. And you can catch video highlights of the show at youtube.com slash lateralcast. Thank you very much to Jordan Harrod. Thanks for having me. To Trace Dominguez. Woohoo, that was fun. And Nari Sol. It was a pleasure. I'm Tom Scott, and this has been Lateral. <laughs>